We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're going to primarily focus on verses 3 through 11. Man, it's always awesome to me, Chris, how the songs each week line up with the message. And that's not always because we communicate at the very beginning of the week and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Chris, you need to pick out some songs that's going to match this. But a lot of times it's just the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with, with what we're doing. And man, I'm just so thankful for that. Two songs that we sung, Yes, I Will. And what was the name of the last one, Chris? The Lord is my salvation. Those two songs are very indicative of what we are going to look at this morning. In 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, what we're going to look at, I'll kind of give you just a little bit, little bit of background. This is honestly, for me, this is, a, uh, this is probably, if you were to ask me what is my favorite passage of Scripture in the Bible, and someone did the other day, and I always, for the last probably five years of my life, I've said this passage. This passage is so special to me because it shows who we can lean on in tragedy. And it's no secret. I, I don't know the stories of every single person that have come through these doors, but we live in a world that's full of sin. <laughs> and with that, by, by default, comes suffering. It comes trial in this, in this world that we live in. And as we sit in these seats this morning, it's undoubtedly people that are faced harsh trials of life, that are suffering currently, or will in the future suffer in this life, this side of eternity. This morning, my prayer for you is that you would find encouragement in the words that we're about to read. The encouragement that we find from Paul when he and Timothy were in great distress or in great affliction. Paul, he offers encouragement to the church of Corinth, the Corinthians that he's writing to. His encouragement to them is that they can find comfort in all affliction through Christ. He also encourages them to use the comfort that God gives them in the trials that they face to comfort other people. It makes me, uh, two words that I love uh, that we use to refer to our relationships with each other as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are two words that I love to use because when you think of the relationship of a brother and sister, you think of them being close-knit. Now, you're thinking or sitting beside your sibling, and you're thinking, that ain't even close to what's happening. But that's the design, right? So for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we receive the comfort that God gives us, a comfort that's supernatural, a comfort that no one else can give you. But Paul's urge and his call that we're going to see this morning is to say, use this comfort, the trial that you face, the suffering that you face. God has delivered you through that. You know what it's like. You've walked the path. Use that to encourage and comfort others who do the same thing. Paul's call to us this morning, to his readers, the Corinthians, is to be dependent on God. Before we start this morning, I want to open us in a word of prayer and just ask simply that God would open our hearts and our ears to be receptive to the truth of his word. Dear God, we come to you and we thank you already, Lord, for the truth of your word. I thank you for that, God, because we have sung that in song. Lord, we've been taught that in Sunday school. Lord, and we're just so thankful that that is the, the guide by which all we do. Lord, I'm thankful for that. God, I pray this morning specifically that as we spend our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, looking at this scripture, this passage that we have this morning, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, our minds to be attentive, to hear, and to receive 
your word, Lord. I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts to the truth of your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The title for our morning's message is Comfort in Calamity. Uh, I'm not artistic whatsoever. This is uh, something that our secretary, Jackie, does. She doesn't go to church here uh, with us, but, dude, she's awesome. I'm, I'm just, Jackie, I don't know if you watch these, but uh, she is an asset to our church, and she is always willing and good at helping us in any of the things that we need. So, man, I'm just shouting her out right there, thankful for all the things that she does. Comfort in Calamity. Um, this is a theme that I think in three words, really in two, comfort and calamity, are two words that we can use to, as a phrase to sum up what we're going to be looking at this morning. So we're going to read this morning 2 Corinthians 1 through 11, but our main focus in our passage this morning is going to be verses 3 through 11. Verse 1, chapter 1 in 2 Corinthians says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in the first two verses, this is kind of a common introduction that Paul gives in a lot of his letters. Let's continue in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11, you must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Our first point this morning that we're going to look at is that God is your everlasting comfort. God is your everlasting comfort. To give you a little background of what's going on here, Paul is speaking of a specific uh, circumstance, specific event that he and Timothy have faced. If you notice in verse 8, he's talking about how he was in such a great situation that he despised, despaired of life itself. He was at the point in his life where he really thought that he could not go any longer. He was at a point in his life where of his own accord, of his own ability, he was not able to push through. Well, as we read this, if you look at the first part of what we read before we got to verse 8, he is talking about the comfort and how we can use the comfort that God has given us in the trials and the sufferings that we face. He's telling us to rely on God for comfort and to use that comfort to comfort other people. What's unique about this is, is he saw the light at the end of the tunnel. He didn't die. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. He and Timothy are suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. And he's gone through something that is awful. 
If you look at the language, man, I just love the way that he talks about it in in verse 8. He just despaired of life itself. He was at a point where he could go no further. But he saw that God comforted him, that he delivered. And he said, I know that he'll deliver again. So as we look at that this morning and relating to our first point this morning, God is our everlasting comfort. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. In this opening statement, he introduces, Paul introduces the topic of discussion in the first 11 verses of chapter 1 to talk about God's comfort in the sufferings that we face on this earth. He opens by praising God's character. He calls God the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What we see here is that Something that I think is important for us to note is that Paul says that he is the God of all comfort. God's desire is to comfort his children in all affliction. Our reaction to the affliction that we face should cause us to run to God for the rest, for rest in him, not away from him. That's why he calls him the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is the one who provides the everlasting comfort that we can find. A lot of times when we face trials in our lives, I don't know if you're like me in this, but a lot of times I will try to figure it out myself, see if I can't fix it first. And then if that doesn't work, sometimes I'll, I'll go to God, or I'll go to God after I've tried other options. Paul's urge here to these people, the church of Corinth, this, the Christians in Corinth, is to depend on God. The comfort that God gives, it goes beyond momentary relief. It's a constant comfort that encourages and strengthens us to press on. It's a comfort that allows us not to strive in our own ability, but rather in God's strength. And you may be thinking of a time in your life where you found yourself at a point where what we sung two songs ago, in the lowest of valleys, yes, I will praise your name. Maybe you found yourself or maybe you sit here this morning and you're in a place where you've tried, you've exhausted all options. And there's nothing else for you to do. Paul's call is that we should rely on God, the God, the Father of mercy, the Father of comfort. We know the truth. The truth is that we rest in knowing that God provides. He continues in verse 4. He says, Who comforts God, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to, to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul continues in verse 4 by saying that God comforts us in all of our affliction. When I gave you background just a second ago, the issue that Paul is speaking on, the specific scenario that he was in, he was suffering for the sake of the gospel. He, he was trying to advance the gospel so that people would know the gospel and come and be saved and trusting in Christ. Well, specifically in this passage, I think that his encouragement and his call to these people, the Corinthians, is he's telling them that, hey, you will suffer. You will suffer in this life. And likely his emphasis on you will suffer for the sake of the gospel. You will find pushback for your faith in Jesus. But what I love what he says here, it's, it's, different, in our, it's different in our scenario. We live in a, we live in a country that we may face persecution in 
in our weeks, in the days that we live on this earth. We may face persecution, but we live in a place where that is very, very, very mild. And it's not at all in a way that we, that Paul faced persecution and specifically in what we're looking at this morning, but something that is true of every human that will ever live, that has lived and will ever live on this earth is that we face trials. We face suffering in this life. That a result, that's a result of sin in this wor- world. And I love what Paul says. He says, he is the God that comforts us in all of our affliction. God is not just a quick fix or a temporary solution. God provides us with a comfort that is everlasting, a comfort that is supernatural. It, when I was looking through this, reading over this, this morning actually, I thought of, you guys have seen the commercial of the Flex Seal, the little spray can stuff that's like waterproof. I don't know if you guys remember, I wish I would have been ahead of the game on this so we could have showed the commercial. But when he puts the screen boat, the screen boat, the screen door in the bottom of a boat, and he sprays it with Flexi Seal, and he's like, no way it'll leak. You're like, you're a liar. It's going to leak. As soon as the commercial goes off, it leaks, right? That's a temporary fix to a long-lasting problem, right? Well, when we think about our relationship with Christ and the things that we go through, I relate it more towards the commercial and Ford slogan when it says, built to last. The comfort that we find in Christ, it's more than just a temporary fix. It doesn't just patch the hole. It completely fixes it. It's built to last. God's comfort for us is everlasting because he himself is everlasting. The beauty of this is that we can know that we can have hope in the trials that we face. We have hope because we have been promised better days. Better days in eternity with him where we do not experience the consequences of the imperfect fallen world that we live in. It's likely that the affliction that Paul's referring to, it is, the affliction that he's referring to is regards to the opposition of the gospel. So for us, we don't know the details of exactly what happened with Paul and Timothy. We just know that he was really going through it. And this morning, as we understand the truth that he is teaching to these people and the truth that we will pull from this is that I see this in two ways. We, in the world that we live in, it seems to be progressing in this direction that we will be persecuted for our faith. I think that you take the word that Paul says here is to hold fast, to know that there are better days coming. Guys, listen, we place our hope. I was talking with Isaiah about this this morning. I told him that, man, if everybody could have just been in our office, we wouldn't have even had to meet. We could have just preached it there, and it would have just been done, and we could have all made it to lunch on time. Um, But the cool thing about the hope that we have in Christ is that it's a hope not, man, we hope that it happens, but it's a hope of a sure thing. It's a hope of something that has happened. It's a hope in a God who has already won the victory. The victory has already been won. Man, we suffer. We suffer and face affliction in this life, and we will. That's what Paul's telling these people. You're going to suffer. It's inevitable. You'll suffer. But your hope is in a God who has already delivered you. You may be delivered You may be delivered on this earth from a physical or a mental illness, from a situation that's bad. God may deliver you, or that deliverance may look like God takes you out of this earth and you go to be in eternity with him. Both are deliverance. Commentary that I often use gave a good point in two questions that it asked that I want to ask you here. It says, who has more empathy 
and compassion for someone who is suffering inwardly or outwardly than a believer who has experienced that same suffering from that same cause. Who is better able to express how God comforted them in a similar moment than someone who has walked the same path? Paul kind of changes lanes here in verse 4. He talks about the comfort that we receive from God. And then he goes to say and encourage these people to use the way that God has comforted you. Use that to comfort other people. It leads you to ask those two questions. Who is better cut out to comfort someone else who has already walked down the path? And you may just be thinking of something in your mind. For me personally, um, I personally have experienced loss in my family. When I was young, I lost my mother at a very young age. That was very hard for me to cope with at a young age, but God has delivered me. This is why this is my favorite passage, because God used this truth and this word to deliver me from that. But when I think about that, I think about the opportunities that I've had, that I've got to have conversations with people to tell them that, hey, it's tough, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's encouraging to be able to tell someone that there is light at the end of the tunnel with Christ. How devastating of a world to live in, to suffer the way that we suffer because of sin in this world and not have Christ. What an opportunity for testimony. What an opportunity to use the negative in your life, the trials that you have faced, use that to bring good from a bad situation. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He was at a point where he physically thought he was dead. He has used this now to teach these people and to encourage these people to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel and to have faith in the comfort that God offers. When we understand that we can use our suffering to comfort someone who is suffering, just like we have, it gives our suffering purpose. I realize that that may sound odd. How can this negative thing have purpose and how can good come from that? Well, welcome to the upside down world of the gospel, right? That's how God functions. We can use that to pass that along to other people. As a believer, our sufferings on this earth, they aren't meaningless. Our sufferings have purpose. The purpose is that they point us to Christ. And there we find our comfort and our hope. The purpose in that is that we, as brothers and sisters of Christ of each other, we are to point each other in that same direction. There truly is no one better to emphasize when someone than one who has already walked the same path for you makes me think of bivocational ministry. Been a bivocational here at this church for two years. Anybody that's been bivocational or worked two jobs, it's hard to juggle those things. It's hard to do both of those things well. Uh, a good friend of mine who's in ministry here at, at First Baptist, uh, Collinsville, J.J. Nelson, he's someone who has walked that path He's someone who I confide in when I talk about the days where, man, I've given all that I can give, but it ain't enough to give. There's more that needs to be done. There's no better person to emphasize with someone than someone who's already walked that path. Paul continues in verse 5. He says, For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What does it mean that we share in Christ's suffering and in, his, and in his comfort? This could be applied to the fact that we who are Christians, we will suffer just as Christ did. Now, will that look like that we will be crucified and hung on a cross like them, like him? Maybe not, right? But Christ suffered for the gospel. He suffered for the sake of the gospel. We, too, as Christians, 
We, can, we will suffer for the sake of the gospel. But what's awesome about that is that just as we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we also are delivered by the comfort that he offers us in our affliction. Man, who is a better example to talk about the comfort that we find in Christ in our affliction to suffer the way that Christ has suffered than Paul? The example that we look at this morning, he's suffering for the sake of the gospel up until the point where he thought just as Christ died, for the sake of the gospel. He would die for the sake of the gospel. We also can take this and share in the fact that any suffering that we go through, applied in a way that any affliction or suffering that we face, even in those times, God's grace and his mercy, they are extended to us. Remember what Paul used. He used the word all affliction. He did this to bring to light the fact that God will comfort his children in all affliction. Paul is primarily encouraging the people that he's writing to to hold fast through the persecution that you will face for your faith. But God's comfort, it applies to that, but it most certainly applies to the everyday sufferings and the normal pains of life that we face. Paul saw that just as he was suffering abundantly, he saw that even much more in his sufferings, he was able to be abundantly comforted through Christ. It begs the question, are we not willing to endure the great suffering so that we may enjoy the greater comfort that we find in Christ? You look at the pillars of the faith all throughout Scripture, and you look and you see their response to the suffering that they face. Take Paul for an example in what we look at in verse 8. He said that this was to make me not rely on myself, but to rely on God. Paul understood no matter how great his suffering, we serve a greater God who offers us greater comfort and greater salvation in him. Continuing in verse 6, it says, If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. It seems here in verse 6 that Paul Looking behind the text here, it seems that Paul's addressing some concerns that maybe these people were having about the effectiveness of his role as an apostle, as, an, as a teacher to them. It's possible that there was a misconception about that was looming that questioned his effectiveness because of how much he was suffering. There's a misconception, maybe you have felt this way, that, man, if I love God, then how come I experience so much suffering? Shouldn't someone who loves Jesus and who is faithful to Christ experience more victory than they do suffering? Read the Bible, and it's almost always the opposite. It's almost always the opposite. Paul's correction to these people in saying our affliction is for your comfort. It's for their comfort because if it wasn't for what Paul has done to advance the gospel, then how would these people be able to trust in the gospel, to trust in Christ? It took a cost. Paul selflessly endured the suffering so that he could bring the gospel to them. Paul knew the cost. He counted the cost, and he pressed on for the advancement of the gospel. Will you? Will you count the cost and press on for the advancement of the gospel? Persecution will come. And maybe it's, it looms its ugly head in a way that's not like Paul's, but it's in your workplace where you are one in 25 who loves Jesus. And you start talking about Jesus and people just snicker. 
Because he's the Jesus freak. He's the guy that always talks about Jesus. And they make jokes about how you are the person that loves Jesus and you're the one that does all the right things. It's hard in the lives that we live to be an example for Christ. It's not nearly as hard as it was for people like Paul. The question is the same for us. Will we count the costs and will we press on for the advancement of the gospel? Through the great suffering that Paul faced... He learned to rely on God. Oftentimes, and specifically in this passage, that was his only option. He had experienced great suffering, which led him to great comfort. Paul assures these people of Corinth that they're going to suffer. You're going to suffer, he tells them, just as he has. It's inevitable. He uses himself as an example to show these people that they can patiently endure because of God's strengthening and encouraging comfort. Use that, what, is, what you have faced in your life, the suffering and the trials that you have faced in your life, use that as an opportunity to comfort someone who's walking the same road as you are. There are nasty things in this world that plague us because of the effect of sin. Whether that's a cancer diagnosis, whether that's a failing career, whether that's a broken marriage, whether that's unhealth, whether that's a broken family, Whatever it is that may happen to you, there have been other people in your shoes that have walked through that. Be transparent about the way that you struggle. Use your brothers and sisters in Christ as God has put them there to help you, to use them to comfort you in the ways that they have walked through the same thing. It's so encouraging to know the comfort of Christ. When you've been there, and many of you have, if you've been there, you've been low. I mean, as low as you could possibly think that you could be. And there truly is no other option. I mean, you have nothing else. You've tried everything else. To know the beauty of God's comfort. Mm. Man. Paul continues in verse 7. He says, Our hope For you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort as well. Paul carries verse 6 into verse 7 to reiterate the fact that we as Christ followers will suffer. It's going to happen. Paul shows us that our suffering, it's not meaningless. It serves great purpose. It points us to Christ and it allows us to use what we've gone through to comfort other people. The suffering that we face, whether it be for the gospel or just the normal pain and trials common to man, it's not a reason for us to give up hope. Rather, it is a great cause that points us to our only hope in Christ. It points us to our hope in deliverance now and eternity. Man, God is good to deliver his children. Our culture, we as humans, want to be people that win, right? It's a win-win situation for us to place our faith and our hope in God because he has already defeated sin. He has already defeated the sufferings that we face. Yes, we will experience those pains on earth, but we know that the deliverance from this earth is even better. And that gives us hope to continue on, to persevere, to press on in the faith, to know that there are better days. Paul is saying that you can know that in these things that you are now facing, just as we 
they have already faced, that we're able to be comforted so you also can be comforted in knowing that you can find comfort in this suffering just as we have. Paul's already walked the path. He's able to assure these people because he's been there. He knows that God's provide. God provides, and he knows that he'll continue to provide. This verse so clearly speaks of what the true Christian life looks like. The true Christian life looks like for us to be solely dependent on Christ. This is Paul's urge to these people. You have nothing else. There is nothing else that will be sufficient for you other than to be solely dependent on Christ. What we see is an awesome example in Paul. He has experienced this comfort. God has given him this comfort. He has been poured into this way. And now you see him taking what he has received and blessing that to other people to say, hey, look, I get it. I've been there. I know that God is faithful, and I'm telling you that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So we think about God's everlasting comfort. Think of a couple of ways that we can apply this. Is when you're going through a time of suffering, it seems simple, but to seek your comfort in God first. God is the only place that you will ever find everlasting comfort. Understand that in the moment or season that you're suffering, that although the suffering may seem great, understand that God is greater than what you're going through, that you serve and have your hope in a God who has already delivered and someone who will continue to, to deliver. Isaiah and I were talking about this morning, it's not blind faith. Hear that phrase used sometimes. It's not blind faith that we have, right? Because God has already delivered. We know that he's going to deliver. Now, we may, we may be blind to the circumstances, and we as people, we want to have our hand on everything. We want to be in control. We want to know what's going on. We want to be able to predict the future to prepare for that. But the world that we live in, we can't do that. But we as Christians can place our faith and our hope in someone who already knows the future. Praise God for that. Praise God for that, most certainly in the times where it looks like there could be nothing good on the horizon. It's not blind faith. You may not know the circumstances, but rest in the fact that God knows. Rest in the fact that God is in control. Use the experience of suffering that you've personally gone through to provide comfort for others. This is what Paul did. He used that example to walk with others through it, to teach others and to say, God is faithful. God will deliver. Oftentimes, we tend to let our sufferings or the things that we're going through lead us to seek comfort. Maybe it leads us to seek comfort in our own ability, for us to try first or to look at other things to get us out of whatever that situation is. If we look and we understand what we've read thus far, Paul's showing us that God is our only hope. He is our everlasting comfort, and he is the only means by which we can have that. Moving on to our second point, we see that Paul lets his suffering and his turmoil point, point him to something much greater. I love this. This is, the, this is the climax of this story. Our second point tonight, as we, this morning as we wrap up, is to let your suffering point you to God. Let your suffering point you to God. Verse 8. This is Paul speaking on what he and Timothy have gone through. Verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. In this verse, Paul speaks more in depth about the affliction that they faced. 
as we've mentioned already, we don't know the details, but we know that Paul is in a very bad situation. It's possible that these Corinthians had gotten word back to them to know that their guy, Paul, is in a bad situation. It really doesn't matter. They may not have understood the severity of the situation, but regardless, Paul and Timothy have found themselves in a situation that they cannot get out of. Just listen to the language that he uses to describe the weight of what he's facing. He says that we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I think it's hard for, uh, for us to understand, to comprehend the emotion that Paul's writing with when he writes this down, to understand the pain that he would have felt the emptiness, at least in regards to his own ability of what he could do. He confesses that the affliction he was facing exceeded his strength. They were at a point where they were sure that they would die. They didn't think that they were going to make it. They didn't see any way out. Have you ever been in a position in your life where you didn't see any way out? Maybe not in regards to death or thinking that you wouldn't live to see another day. Maybe some of you. Maybe some of you have been there, but have you ever been at a point in your life where you faced suffering or a trial, where you truthfully, you just didn't see any possible way to be brought out of that? Man, that was me. I struggled with that for years of my life, from about eight years old to 15. I didn't, truthfully, didn't care whether I was alive or not, and that's hard to say, but I can speak this morning with confidence because God delivered me from that. But many of us in this room can relate to the fact that we have been down in a place so low that maybe we didn't want to be here anymore, or maybe we didn't see any opportunity to get out of it. I hope that you can relate to me this morning in speaking in confidence about a situation in your life where you know, hey, I was there, but God delivered me. Continues in verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us do not miss this part. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I'm going to read that again. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is where it clicks. Paul continues in this verse, and he tells us they received felt that they had received the sentence of death. We can so clearly see that they both, he and Timothy both were at a breaking point, so much that they felt that death was the only possible way out of this. Paul had been brought to his knees. Paul lost all hope in his own ability to keep himself alive. This forced him to rely on God. There was no other option. He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Mm. Even in the heat of the affliction they were facing, they were reminded that this affliction was an opportunity to look to God for guidance and to be solely dependent on Him. To be solely dependent on a God that has the power to raise the dead. If He has the power to raise the dead, then He most certainly has the power to comfort and guide any of us in any affliction that we face. I remember when I was preaching this passage, I, I think that I was, gosh, maybe 20 years old. This was back in like 2019. I remember preaching this passage, and all of the 
anger and emotion that I had for myself pent up because of a situation in my life where I lost my mother. I remember preaching this passage at a church, the church um, that Caleb came from. He and I were both there at the same time, Spring Hill. I remember preaching this passage, reading that verse and thinking, it makes sense. It clicks. For the years that I had used this in a negative way, that I have let this rip me into shreds from inside out to to the point that it affected the way that I treated other people, to the way that it affected the way I saw myself, God delivered me in that to show me the purpose. Mm. The purpose for our suffering is to rely on God, to be dependent on a God who has the power to raise the dead. God who has the power to make good out of a bad situation. Man, I hope this morning that if you find yourself in a place that's low, that it seems like nothing for you can go right, I hope that you are encouraged just specifically by that verse to know that This suffering, it has a purpose. That purpose is to point you to God, a God who will deliver. You may not know what it looks like, but he will deliver. Paul here connects his suffering to Jesus. For the sake of the gospel, Jesus received the death sentence from the Romans. Paul shared in this suffering because he also was at a point where he was suffering for the sake of the gospel, almost to the point that he would die for the sake of the gospel. Paul knew that just as Jesus was raised again to be at the right hand of the Father in eternity, Paul knew that he would be delivered through his death into eternity with God. You had to have think that Paul was thinking to live as Christ, to die as gain. Philippians chapter 1, verse 121. Verse 21, chapter 1, verse 21. To live as Christ and to die as gain. What a great scripture to paint the picture of what's happening here. Paul knew that if he would have died for the sake of the gospel, it would have been his gain. He didn't. He saw green on the other side. We see him using this experience to teach these people. These people, He uses this experience of affliction to point to the comfort that he has found in Christ. And he tells these people that, listen, I've been there. I know God will comfort you and he will deliver you. Look at verse 10. Gosh, I love this verse. Verse 10, it says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What a triumphant response here in verse 10. Don't you know that he is shouting that God has delivered us and he will continue to deliver us? He says this with emotion. God delivered Paul and Timothy. He proclaims that he's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to deliver What an amazing truth this is for believers to rest in. Man, God delivers. God will continue to deliver. No matter what we face on this earth, God will deliver his children, whether that be through physical or mental healing, or if that means that he delivers us from this earth to be in eternity with him, God will deliver. It's a win-win situation. So for the person sitting in here this morning that doesn't see light at the end of the tunnel, have faith in knowing that God has already conquered death and that God has the power to deliver, and he will continue to do that. Man, I hope that you find encouragement in that this morning. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in a God that delivers. From their experience from times past, 
Man, think of Paul as an, as an example that we see in the New Testament of all the trial that he did face. From the experience that they had experienced in times past, God has delivered them. So they have set their hope in the fact that he will deliver them again. Paul's message to the Corinthians is to hold fast to their hope in a God who is faithful to, to deliver. For those of you in the room that have gone through something, something else will come. Hold fast in the fact that God has delivered you already. Call back to a time in your life where God has proven faithful. Be reminded that God will continue to be faithful. He wraps up in verse 11. He says, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Closing in verse 11, Paul urges these people that he's writing to to be intentional, to continue to be people of prayer. He urges them to continue to pray. There's no doubt that these people that knew the affliction that Paul and Timothy were facing, that there were people interceding on their behalf, praying for them. Prayer works. Oftentimes, if we know of someone who's going through something, sometimes the best response isn't to go up and spill your guts and, and say a whole bunch of words. But maybe the appropriate response, which is always the appropriate response, is to simply pray for them. There's an example uh, when we were at my home church in Spring Hill. Uh, we had a lady in our church who had been diagnosed with some type of cancer. I can't exactly remember what it was. She had been to uh, Texas, and they told her that they told her she had cancer. I mean, they straight up told her that she had cancer. And um, we, were, we had a one Sunday night service, and, and we just prayed for her. We just put our hands on her, and we prayed for her. And she went back the, last, the next time that she went to Texas, and she's cancer-free. Cancer-free. If that doesn't show you that prayer works... I don't know what other example could get, help you to get it, to know that prayer works. That's good application for our church. There are people in this church that you know about that are hurting, that are suffering. Be people of prayer. As a church, we have to band together as brothers and sisters in Christ to be people of prayer. Pray and trust that God will deliver them couple of things that I want us to take away from this as we wrap up, to take from what we've heard this morning, to let your suffering point you to God. Be transparent about the things that you're struggling with. In the heaviness of your suffering, let it point you to the comfort that we find in Christ. Let it point you to the deliverance that we find in God, the deliverance that we have found in Jesus. Let your suffering be a means to which God is glorified. Use what you've gone through to comfort other people. Take yourself back to a time where God was faithful to deliver you from your suffering. Trust and have faith that he will continue to do that. To know that our God delivers. That you're trusting in a God who has the power to raise the dead. Apply this in the same way that Paul has and urged his original audience by being intentional to pray for those who are suffering who are just in the thick of it, who are facing trials of, li of, of life. Simply rely on God and not your own ability. And finally, let your suffering point you to God, where you find deliverance and where you find comfort. This message this morning is one of great encouragement to the one who knows Jesus. The reason it's a great encouragement to those of us who have faith in Jesus, though you may be in the thick of it right now, is because the victory has already been won. The battle has already been won. We rejoice in the fact 
that God has already delivered us. If we are his, there is nothing, John 10, verse 28, there is nothing that can take us from the hand of God if we are truly his. So this morning, my encouragement to you is to rejoice in the fact that God delivers. You may not see it now, but God will deliver. Brother and sister in Christ, be a brother and sister in Christ to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that was a lot. Comfort them. You've been through things that other people have faced. Comfort them in that time. Man, it's so, I'm so blessed by our, I'm so blessed by our uh, men's gathering. We meet once a month and we talk about Job. And you don't talk about somebody that went through it, buddy, he went through it. It's so encouraging for me. I think by like a mile, I'm the youngest individual in that room. It's so encouraging for me to be in a group of men that have done a whole lot more life than me, that they talk about how these things go and what I should and I shouldn't say. I'm learning what I should and I shouldn't say. Hey now, Landry, I'm doing better. Um, it's, it's important to receive that from people that have walked life in a way that you haven't. Man, and I, I hope that this morning, that for those of you that have faced that, that you would be an encouragement to someone else to comfort them in a way that you know and have received that God's comforted you. This morning, that message may not be the same if you don't know Jesus. Because the truth is, if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have comfort. That goes past just momentary, temporary fix. What's so awesome about this deliverance that we talk about in Christ is that God longs to deliver you from the bondage of your sin. We have heard countless testimony in the baptismal waters. I can't believe we ain't having one today. We've had one for the last 17 Sundays, it seems like. You've heard testimony of people coming from death to life. You've heard testimony of people having to come to a point where they say, I know I, I don't know Jesus. Come to a point where they have to be vulnerable and open and confess and say that my sin has separated me from Jesus. What's so awesome about what we read this morning is that Paul didn't stop when he said that we, re, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, right? No, he didn't. He didn't stop there. He continued on to say that this moment, this suffering, pointed me to Christ. The cool thing about the fact that our sin separates us from God is that it doesn't have to continue to. Because God has offered you a way out of that. They call him Jesus. My prayer for you this morning is that you would be comforted for the first time by the love of Christ, which he is so graciously waiting for you to surrender to so that he can give that to you. If that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you not to battle that, to receive the sacrifice in Jesus, receive him as your Savior, and understand what true comfort is, and understand that you, can be, that you are delivered from the bondage of sin to be in eternity with Christ. The awesome thing about that for us as believers this morning is no matter how bad it gets here, we know that the victory has already been won. We place our faith and our hope in a God who has already delivered. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you and I thank you, Lord, so much for the truth of your word. God, I'm thankful for your deliverance. God, I'm thankful for that example in my own personal life. I look back at times in my life that have been hard that I have suffered, and all I can do is look back on that with a smile because, God, you have delivered me. I'm certain that for every single individual in this room, 
that we will, as we live days on this earth, in a fallen world, that we will suffer. Something will come. Lord, I pray, God, that we would remind ourselves of this passage in 2 Corinthians, that we would remind ourselves of times past where, God, you have proven faithful. I pray, God, for the ones in here that are just broken, that are hurting, that are in the thick of trial. God, that this morning, this, this word was encouraging to them to know that God is a God of comfort, to know that he does deliver to know that the sufferings and the trials that we face in this life are to point us to Christ where we find deliverance. It may not seem that way for some, but I pray, God, that you would just show them and make it evidently true to them to trust you in knowing that they don't know the circumstances, but you do, and you've already delivered. My prayer for the one here who doesn't know you is that they would come to know you that they would be delivered from the bondage of sin and be liberated in the freedom of knowing Christ. God, I love you, and I'm so thankful for the encouragement of your word. Thankful for Paul, who has given us this teaching that we can take and be encouraged by today. God, we love you and we praise you.